You are listening to the Therefore a Geek podcast, episode 31. everybody and welcome to Therefore a Geek. This is the first episode where it's just me and a couple of other geek girls. Today I have um, Shayna with me and I have Teresa. Say hi. Hello. Uh, hi. <laughs> so we're talking about what it like what it is like to be a geek girl in a geek boy's world kind of and we're going to talk a little bit about our particular fandoms which are pretty across the board i think we've got a, a nice long stretch everything from fantasy to sci-fi and a little bit of in, in between you guys aliens fans by any chance a little bit a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah um so i w- kind of wanted to start off just asking um when you guys first found yourself identifying as a geek um i know for me it was probably pretty early but at the same time I was geeky before I knew I was geeky, and I'm figuring you guys probably had similar experiences. Yeah, so, exactly. Shayna, what was your... Oh, my first experience where I'd say I was a geek was when I started reading the Harry Potter books, which I did not originally like fantasy. So I kind of started reading it. I was a latchkey kid. It was like my chance to go off into nowhere and nice. have sorcerers and witches. and Yeah. It seems like Harry Potter kind of is at the um, the point where science fiction and fantasy kind of meet because there's a little bit of real world stuff in there. You know, there's the Ministry of Magic and stuff, which seems to be, to me, there's hmm, there's a slightly more scientific take on... They actually look for explanations for why things happen as it, not always very well as <laughs> Teresa's looking at me like, I already, I already want to jump in here. Um, it's not always a good explanation, but at the same time, there's some explanation. Whereas in other worlds like Aragon or, um, or something like that, it's just, this is magic and that's why, the end. <laughs> um, so I can see why being a little bit more science fiction fan... Yeah, um, you would you would like Harry Potter, okay? The things I don't like Harry about Harry Potter are actually how much it uh, parodies or is parallel to everyday life. I re- I like the idea of everything being magical and out there, and you can get away from the minutia. Yeah, when you read science fiction, you're on a spaceship. You know, yeah, it's great. Are you the type of person that wants to go to Mars? Would you go to Mars if you had the opportunity, knowing you couldn't come back? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just curious because I know there are people that have already signed up to go, and I can't imagine that, but I, I know there are people that do this. I'm just wondering if, if that's a thing. What about you, Teresa? Would you go to Mars? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. And I, I hear it's a scam, right? Now they're saying that it's not, that the people who are being selected to go, quote unquote selected, are just the ones who gave the most money. To oh. this program or something so they don't have like any genetic special features or anything that we need no i just oh i mean i i can't obviously i have no idea really but i just was reading this article where they said it's this isn't a real thing this is some kind of big scam or something which is so bizarre oh. <laughs> but well that's how, that know. sounds almost like a ponzi scheme like oh pay us all this money to go to i almost feel like that's kind of a the cryogenic thing like oh well sh- sure we'll freeze your body forever <laughs> yeah 
absolutely just give us this money you're not going to know what happens to it after you're dead anyways one day we'll figure it out <laughs> yeah. sure uh that's funny okay sorry i completely derailed what you were saying um oh. so you were talking about harry potter and the moment you discovered you were a geek yeah uh that's i and you just kind of like slip into it you know like especially like over the summer like it's, mm-hmm. there's nowhere for, you know if you're if your parents are at work and you don't really have siblings around like it's boring for yeah. you when you don't have other kids so to be able to read the books and um have that be my entertainment and have my own imagery that was you know then three books later I'm like okay I guess I'm into Harry Potter you know? <laughs> so that's awesome but you weren't particularly the um the sidelined geek at school though you're a pretty popular kid yeah um i went to a big school so i wouldn't say popular but i never had any problems with friends it was never something that was in the forefront of my mind as yeah. important or wanted so what did you read before harry potter that made you more sci-fi really like real life crime books like nice yeah i was i was you know i'm i still think serial killers are really interesting and all that but not the kind of thing you talk about with your friends. Like reading was always private to me. Yeah. That was my thing. It was cool. Like whatever. I don't care. You're not in my head. So. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. What about you, Teresa? What was your first geek moment? Probably when in the in the few months leading up to when Star Wars Episode One came out, my parents sat me down and said, you know, me and my sister, we're going to we're going to watch the Star Wars trilogy and I got so into it. We watched it, I think, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. And on Tuesday night, I tried to make my dad put on Return of the Jedi because I just couldn't wait to see what was going to happen. And he said, I waited three years. You can wait 24 <laughs> hours to find out what happened, Sahan. And my sister and I just went, got completely obsessed with it. We went out and bought lightsabers. We started playing Star Wars all the time. I took... Every single Star Wars book that was in the public library out multiple times. I read them all. And so that was my first, I think, my first geek obsession because, not just because of the content, but because of how obsessed I was. And yeah. The But the big entrance for me, as you know, and as you just mentioned, was uh, in high school when Lord of the Rings, the movies came out and I read the books. And I, I really got into Lord of the Rings, same way with Star Wars, but I remain just as obsessed today. Uh, so... <laughs> Well, you have a smog tattoo, do you not? I do have a smog tattoo on my foot. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a pretty big level of dedication. Yeah. Nice. Was geek an appealing idea for you? Was it an appealing thing to to a a label that you kind of embraced? Or was it something you were like, well, I guess I'm this now? Because you were, Shannon, you said you were kind of like, I guess I'm into Harry Potter now. Yeah. That's the way I always saw it. Like, I never really liked that idea of well i identify with this kind of thing so that's what i am that Mm -hmm. like really always bothered me like i prefer to just be free and to be interested in what i want and whoever like whatever you know friends that attaches to because you know as like even within your geekiness the different things you geek out about are just you know like if you're in like comic books you're gonna look for comic book people to talk about that with it's not exactly the same as if you're into sci-fi yeah like no, way different true. type of genre and interest and and it, it you're right although it seems especially more and more i think with conventions being so more much more widespread and so much more mainstream like you go to a convention maybe you go because i'm my personal favorite avenger is scarlet witch 
I think she's awesome. So I go to Comic-Con looking for, I don't know, back issues in the dollar bins or I go because they're cosplaying or I, I don't know. In this case, now with the new Avengers movie coming out, I go because Elizabeth Olsen is there signing autographs, you know, whatever. And then while I'm there, I happen to see someone cosplaying um, Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones and I'm just like holy crap what is this <laughs> this cool thing and then it kind of seems to blend a little bit more now but I, I think you're right I think when we were growing up because we're all roughly the same age um, millennials late 20s that it was a little bit more there was a little bit more division like you even within the geek community like you like this thing I remember there being a huge divide between fantasy fans and sci-fi fans yes which yeah. is no longer really the case yes and I was the on firmly on the fantasy side like very firmly mm -hmm. and never the twain shall meet like it, it was just I, I even felt some aversion picking up sci-fi books because I'm like yeah I really don't know that I'm interested in this and now I, I don't feel that anymore I literally don't feel that from other geeks I don't feel that in the community and I don't feel it when I start reading so a good book is a good book. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You can definitely see more of the bleeding like now than you yeah. did then. Either. Which I think is very cool. And it makes it a lot easier to be a geek, I think. Definitely. It's, you're more accepted by more people, for yes. sure. Mm -hmm. um, did you like being identifying as a geek? I was always a weird kid, so it wasn't <laughs> a huge leap. I was the horse girl, so yeah. I feel you. Yes. <laughs> I was just weird. And um, yeah, it was a super appealing idea because it was a group. Before this, before I really got into Lord of the Rings, I was just kind of the weird kid who didn't really know how to dress herself and look like everyone else and who didn't really know how to act like everyone else who just wandered around. And after that, after I got into Lord of the Rings, at least I felt like I had some kind of social group and identity. Like I was a geek. Yeah. So, you know. Did you do role-playing games by any chance? Or was I, that interesting to you? I didn't do that. I, di I was on message boards. I was on a message board. I was extremely active on a message board for most of high school. Um, DestroyTheRing.net. I don't even know if it's still up. But I um, used to read that message board. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so funny. That takes me back. So I was really active on that. And um, I perused people who were doing role-play. I think on the t at the time it was LiveJournal. I think that's where a lot of the role-playing game was at the time. And I also did... The Renfest stuff. Like, I dressed up and went to Renfest. Nice. Which is a little... I mean, it still happens, but it was a little bit of the precursor to some of the cosplay stuff that I think we yeah. see today. Yeah. Oh, well, they call it LARPing now, but that yeah. used to just be dressing up and playing games. I mean, we did it in my backyard. Um, my favorite thing to do was to play... We used to play Pinecone Wars because we had a lot of pine trees <laughs> in the backyard. And for whatever reason... I think most of the, like, the kids in my neighborhood were allowed to do a lot more stuff than I was allowed to. But I think their parents would get really sick of them being inside playing video games, and they'd kick them out. <sighs> and the only place they could go where they knew there would be a group of kids was our house, because we were constantly outside. So we would play, um, when I, I remember being real little, and we watched the Disney um, Muppets, not, or not Muppets, um, the Disney Treasure Island, not the Muppets Treasure Island, the, the Disney one with the... Um, it was don't give me that look Shayna. um it was it was really <laughs> ridiculous but it was really fun and it was pretty easy to to play so we would literally dress up like this was our version of cosplay i suppose and then we would play pinecone wars throw pinecones at each other whenever and yeah actually the ultimate part of that game was not winning it was dying in the most flamboyant manner possible that was my favorite way to play as a kid <sighs> and i came from kind of a rural area so it was a it could be a hike depending on where you live to to get to the neighbor's house so playing in the woods and i would pretend to be like you know like the woods witch of the you know nice. you behind my house is my 
And that was fun for me. Like, Well, the woods are the easiest place to imagine things. Yes. Absolutely. Because it's like nature kind of plays along with you. You can do anything in your house. You're kind of stuck to like current day. But when you're in the woods, you can it can either be the future or it can be the way past or... Um, Calvin and Hobbes does this a lot where he gets into the box and then he pretends that it's a time machine and he goes and he sees dinosaurs. I don't know if you guys were huge Calvin and Hobbes fans. I was. I can still quote them. It's stupid. Um, but yeah, he'll, he does that a lot. And that's kind of how I felt. But then I, I wasn't probably as rural as you were, Shana, but we were definitely a subdivision in the back of it was um, like a wetlands preserved type thing in the community so we could go down and there was like this weird boggy swampy thing i was just talking about playing in the marsh last (laughs) night and like how i would go in and walk through it and you end up like waist deep in mud (laughs) yes like and i would be like oh what's that in there and like reach my hand down and like pick stuff up out of the mud like i would never do that yeah (laughs) yeah no that's true I was always the two things that I would always play at, at by myself in the woods were I loved Redwall when I was a kid. I read all the books up until I think book twenty five, and he put them out yearly. I mean, he was no George R. R. Martin. <laughs> he was putting something new out every year. It was always in September. I was always so excited. I even have this whole ritual where I was the first person to put it on hold in the library, and even if I weren't, the librarians knew me on site, so they would hold it for me. It, <laughs> I was a weird kid, Teresa. I, was, I promise you, we were probably on the same level. Um, and then I would read most of it, and then I would save the last three chapters. I would read it until I fell asleep the night that I got it. And then as soon as um, as soon as soon I woke up the next morning, I finished the book, and it was a big thing. So I would always play that because it was like little critters. It was mice and yeah. squirrels and rabbits and whatever. So that was easy. And the other one, I was always Puddle Glum from the Chronicles of Narnia, the Marshwiggle. <laughs> <laughs> so the bog, like what you were saying, I remember waiting in the bog too because I had to. Because, you know, I had webbed feet in my imagination. It was good times yeah i'm admitting to way too much (laughs) and like when you're in a fantasy there's this strong tie always with nature yes like and forests and woods yeah Yeah. very heavy in the fantasy way more so than science fiction that's absolutely true and that it's really fun it's you go that you go right to that place so easy in the woods yeah absolutely um so what else do you like besides what what are you into besides harry potter one day when I got to high school, I made friends with someone new and um, he was he's got kind of a sandpaper personality or he did then. And I told him that I read Harry Potter and he was a sci fi nut in just huge proportions like his collection is even even like back then. It's just intimidating. Like, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> original copies of this one and that one read every this was a high school kid yeah yeah oh yeah and uh he he kind of went into reading and sci-fi for the same reason i did like is that oh god i'm bored you know it's summertime oh you know yeah um and he went and he was like you're an idiot for reading harry wow you you know and he had just gotten into dune and um, I saw the movies and everything because my mom liked it. But and he was like, "Read this. I want some. You know, I want." That's a talk. gigantic book. That's like four hundred pages or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, that was the paperback copies. Well, you know, he kind of like underestimated me because he was like, "He's my friend, right?" But he was a jerk. And uh, he hands me one of the prequels and he goes, "Read this. Like this will get you into it. I want to talk about this with somebody. You're gonna love it." And I fell in love with it. Like I tore through every one of those books nice and 
and that was that was it for me I was into science fiction like it was done like that's awesome I just you know didn't like and no offense to fantasy but it just didn't really pull me back I like a a dragon every now and again but yeah after that it's all sci-fi well I I know that when I was a kid like probably about the age you were getting into dune i was getting into terry pratchett and um aragon a little bit because i liked that the author was 19 when he published his first book so i was like okay that's only a couple of years too. older than me so i tried god that was a terrible book by the way I even thought, even I, by my standards back then it was just not i thought it was so good when i think i was 14 or 15 is that how old we were when, when roughly, it came out yeah, yeah like yeah. i think i was 14 and i thought it was so good at the time and then i went back years later on a plane or no, I was in an airport and I saw the second one and I had never read the second one. I saw it at the airport and mm-hmm. I was reading out on the plane and I was like, this is awful. Like I couldn't <laughs> even garbage, I was, isn't it? <laughs> I was on a plane and I wasn't even bored enough to read this book. Wow. And I just, I, I think I just left and I put it down in the, the terminal and I was like, I don't even want to put this in my bag. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's, so yeah, those were pretty mm, bad books. They were terrible. I also <laughs> loved Piers Anthony and the Xanth books, X-A-N-T-H. They were very sarcastic um, a little bit satirical and full of puns. They were they were fantasy, but they were always. And of course, this is many years ago, so I can't pull you up an example. Although I will link to it in the show notes, of course. Um, and I just thought they were the most original, most cool, most funny things ever. I used to sneak them because my sorry mom, um, my mom didn't want me to read them because they were <laughs> full of profanity, and they were just hysteric. They hilarious. Everything just they perfectly appealed to my sardonic kind of angsty teenage self and then i went back and read them not even just a few years later and i just went oh this is garbage i just a lot of it is just so you know and terry goodkind it's just so much of it is so um it just follows the same it's formulaic it just follows the same exact this happens and then this happens and and so i i kind of understand even as a fantasy fan i kind of see where you're coming from where there just wasn't, unless you were reading adult fantasy, and then if adult fantasy is like 90% romance, it feels like a lot of times, or at least it did back in the late 90s, beginning of the 2000s. I, yeah, I think the Lord of the Rings coming out 2001 to 2003 is when they were released. And I think mm-hmm. that really paved the way for kind of a new revolution in fantasy literature, because I think it's vastly improved the stuff that's oh, been man. published. Like, I, you know, Game of Thrones started in the mid 90s, but as I, you know, as I'm reading now, some I've gone back to my roots and have started reading a lot more fantasy books, and I'm finding that what's coming out now is a lot better. I feel like yeah. than a lot of the stuff that was popular in the '90s. Yeah, I you know I can't say that for sure because again I was a kid when I read that stuff, and I'm yeah. probably missing some stuff. Well, I just but... thought it was so original. I guess yeah. that that was the big difference. Reading it later, I go, oh no, this is a throwback to earlier classic stuff. I was also a big fan of E. Nesbit. I don't know if you read those. They're like Mm-mm. they're written for kids. Um, and one of them, the first one that she ever wrote was called Half Magic. And it's these kids that find a coin and it will give you half of what you wish for. So if you wish to be on the Therefore I Geek podcast, you might end up on the Therefore podcast. So <laughs> and that was kind of how whimsical the whole thing was. And there's a whole series of them. They're really adorable. Or Edward Eager. I'm sorry. Those were Edward Eager. E. Nesbitt is another author that I really enjoyed. She did some other similar things. They're very whimsical. They're at the turn of the, the 19th century um, into the 20s. And you can literally see what decade each each set of books came out in because that was what was popular and i think that like you said it's improving every every couple of decades someone sets 
a standard. Someone mm-hmm. comes on the scene and in the uh, early 2000s, it was more a renewal of interest in, in Tolkien. But um, I mean, that's just my opinion, too. I have no, no idea. I would, it could be. But yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that that's something that I found as well. But we've re- read a couple of the same books. We're not entirely reading the same like list of reading list of doom, but we're going yeah. down <laughs> like I you told me to get back into Rothfuss because I'd kind of given up on him. Mm-hmm. And then I gave you um the lies of lamora which i still love yeah um which you actually might like that because it has the elements of sci-fi that i think that you would like i like that uh the thing i like about game of thrones specifically is that the storyline isn't as linear yeah it's more historical it feels like it could happen yes yes Yes. and there are so many things happening at the same time yeah so a lot of intrigue as well that's always fun yeah and that's that's the biggest thing i like about dune is the plot within the plot like you never quite have it figured out you know and it's only glimpses all happening simultaneously yeah so um tv shows are you guys i know you both mentioned that you're you like battlestar galactica so i i only have watched the miniseries because i was told that that's really the only part worth watching so i watched episodes which became episodes one and two yeah well that miniseries was fantastic and then my husband and i continued watching and then it came off of netflix and so we just kind of stopped at that point and we haven't pursued it it was still good um it gets a little i i really so i was in the military um for six years and i really liked how accurately it mimicked some aspects of military life. Like it was more accurate than a lot of military stuff that I've watched. And that's what my husband and I, we were both in the Navy. We really enjoyed. I mean, we even think their set designer must've been in the Navy because the inside of Battlestar Galactica looks like a, you know, the inside of the carrier kind of. So um, that's what we really enjoyed, but it does start to get a little bizarre with some prophecy and some religion coming into it. And I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it enough to really actively seek out the remaining episodes when it came off Netflix. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I yeah. have seen the first two and a half, maybe three seasons, and I did enjoy it. Um, but I think more actually just the military aspect of it really yeah. than even the sci-fi aspect or the prophecy aspect. And you can jump in here. Yeah, I know definitely the, the same. I was in the Air Force, so it really did mimic a lot of that. Yeah. And I liked the personality types they chose. <laughs> it was it was, it was was humorous. Like, I yeah. really did enjoy that but uh um the line that andrew always uses for battlestar is that it jumped the shark and then in case you weren't paying attention it jumped it a few more times so <laughs> from what i understand i never That's... got to the first shark jump um how many did anybody know how many seasons i can look it up if we don't I, remember i want to say six something is like that, that? Cur- is that okay. right um well there's the two and a half so Wait, it's confusing. Are we talking about like the new Battlestar? That's the only one I've seen. Okay, so there's a season two and a half. Oh, okay. There Um, is a season two and a half? Yeah. Yes. So. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yes, it does get very religious and hokey. But if you, you got to kind of sit down and um, war through it for, you know, not having a better word. But because... It gets really like prophets and yeah. my savior, you know, Ooh, and then it kind of steps away from it and the characters come into play and it's, that's the more enjoyable part. Like Baltar, you see a new side of his character and the Cylons all, you know, you see the duality with them and their different personalities. Yeah. yeah. Um. What about, Fars- have you seen Farscape, Teresa? I, I know not, not. I'm partway through season one. I'm 
then I got stuck in midterms and couldn't continue. <laughs> so, but I know that you're a huge, but you seem to like more the, like the psychedelic, unusual. Yes. Shana. Yeah, definitely. I want aliens. I want spaceships. I want there to be time travel in multiple dimensions and I want a wormhole. And does it ever bother you that a lot? Well, this is really true on the older stuff, like the 70s um, Star Trek and that kind of thing, that all the aliens were humanoid. That bugs me so much. That's one thing I love <laughs> about Farscape that um, what's his name? The little king that rides on the Rigel. Not, yeah, Rigel. Thank you. <laughs> he's not humanoid. Thank goodness. Like there's somebody that actually looks like an alien. Um, have either of you seen um, Galaxy Quest? Yes. Yes. That was one thing where they actually gave a legitimate explanation for why the aliens are humanoid because they have an image projector that makes them look differently, but they're actually squid-like. I don't oh, know I forgot you... about that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I totally forgot about that. That's such a great movie, but I haven't seen it in years, but you're right. They do. They have a reasonable yeah. explanation for the humanoid factor, but does that ever bug you? Um, yes. That gets on my nerves. But when you get the the really crazy looking aliens, a lot of the time you you lose like what they do and what yeah. they say. It's you know like Rigel. He Rigel's pretty cool. Like he, he you know he definitely appeals to the love of Muppets and all. <laughs> and <it's> all. Yes. <laughs> so well, they are. Isn't he? Um, isn't he created by the same guy that did the, created the Muppets? Isn't he a? Is it Jim Henson? I want to say it's Jim Henson. Jim Henson was the Muppets guy. I feel right. like, I, yeah, but I feel like th- it was done by the same guy. Anyway, keep going. Oh. Sorry. I totally I derailed you. Um, but yeah, the humanoid factor. Yeah, the humanoid factor. And that's that's kind of why I never got too into Star Trek is because there's just, it's 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 like humanoid. The aliens are humanoid and, and they even all of have their a problems of the are humanoid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um. yeah, they have humanoid problems and farscape but you have different kinds of aliens and you visit different worlds and you really visit different worlds and it's not all about saving the galaxy you know yeah yeah also i like that their um spaceship is actually alive that's interesting the only other person i've ever and i'm not saying this is the only one that's out there but the only other one that i've come in contact with is saga which is um a comic book series by brian k vaughn and the rocket ships grow like trees in stargate um in Stargate, that happens. Okay. The ships, well, uh, the Wraith, their ships are alive. Okay. This living sort of technology is really, um, it is really popular in sci-fi, actually. Really? Cause, yeah, because, you know, when you get into science fiction, there's you, you want to kind of explain how these things can happen. Yeah. Like where this, sh- you know, how the ship can trek through space for a million trillion years and that was still one get thing, energy. That, well, my so question was, how in the world does Mira, they feed Mira on Farscape? Do they feed her? Oh, um, does that come up later? I haven't seen that far. They no, I think Moya. Moya, sorry. No, you're um, fine. Moya, I think they. She takes fuel. Like I feel like they refuel her. Okay, but uh, that must teaser, happen after episode Moya seven. <laughs> can have offspring. Oh, that's fun. Yes, <laughs> very fun. The only one I saw with the offspring was where they flew into the cloud of bugs and it was like the queen sort of settled into moya oh yeah the heat rose and yeah yeah um at the moment they're very episodic and i'm really hoping that we start to get kind of an overarching story with that one um speaking of of episodic are either of you firefly fans i have not seen it neither have well i've tried so many times (laughs) it just oh 
I re- like I like everything around Flat Firefly, you know. <laughs> you like the the um the community of Firefly, you know, <laughs> actually liking Firefly. It it's it's worth it. I mean, it's 14 episodes, guys. Like, it's not even it's on it's on my list of doom. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, the first episode of Firefly is like the first an, episode of Battlestar. Yeah, like. it's like an hour and a half long too. That doesn't help. Um, however, I was just going to bring up that um, Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk, the two stars from that, have decided to do a fan funded web series. Um, so have Have you guys seen Doctor Horrible's sing along blog? Yes. So you know Nathan Fillion. Yes. Total goofball. Um, so and. We talked a little bit about this on a previous podcast when we had on Mike Federale, but I love that those two actors, and, and not just them, William Shatner has done it really well, Will Wheaton has done it really well, Felicia Day does it really well if you watch The Guild or Supernatural or any of the million other things that she's been in. They tap into their fan base and their fan base literally propels their career because they have such a such a huge number of followers on Twitter um, and every time they do anything cute on Vine or Instagram or whatever, they get so much feedback that producers and um, creators of all different types of things are starting to court these people just because they want to pull in the fan base. Like, you cannot tell me that Felicia Day has been in as much stuff as she's been in strictly because she's adorable a redhead. Like, no. Mm-hmm. If, if you want an adorable redhead, you might get Allison Hannigan, right? So... The cool thing is, is that as geeks, geek girls, geek guys, whatever, we're getting a little bit more access to a hands-on approach to getting what we want. So the Firefly fans are many and very well connected, apparently. Um, So uh, Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk, the two main characters, um, if you can call them that, from Firefly, it's kind of, they're all, the whole crew is pretty. Ensemble cast. Yeah, it it is. But um, if there were leads, they would be it have they they decided they didn't want producer input on this web series instead of going directly to someone in hollywood and saying okay jerry brookheimer give us the cash to do this they came to the fans and they said we want four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars on indiegogo they got it within six hours and they are now at close to 2.5 million dollars wow and that was less than 10 days impressive right so is it exciting to you or do you not care that it's so easy as a fan to literally tell hollywood what you want and get it i mean we've got tv shows on a myriad of comic book characters flash we've got all of gotham which is like um commissioner gordon from batman and his oh, yeah, early the, rise yeah, yeah. doing the gotham um, thing the uh, agents of shield we've got agent carter that was the miniseries that just came out that's based on um like the precursor to to shield um we've got movies out the wazoo based on mostly on comic books but we've got also um, a whole bunch of sci-fi and fantasy things but being able to directly say to hollywood with our money we want this like does that i think that's great because i think every geek fan gets to that point where they didn't do you want them to do the movie your thing or yeah you know you do you like when the next batman came out anybody that's a batman fan was like yes finally (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, and with the newer, the uh, Dark Knight trilogy, it was, this is also the Batman that we wanted to see. Yes. Which yes. is what I, I think yes. what I love about it. Because there were always sci-fi and fantasy movies and, yeah. and whatever. But picking what we want to see. I mean, even to the point of, and I, I realize neither of you are particularly into comic books, but with um, with Deadpool, the character, you know, the guy with the red and black mask, 
he's getting his own movie now but the fact that he was a character was driven in part by his popularity online on on reddit and other websites um people started kind of embracing him as like an oddball character and saying what i really wish is that deadpool would do this and they happened to get a creator on the book that was tapped into that that was actually paying attention to what was going on online and he started actually making deadpool do what they had suggested and then it kind of was a a, a sort of fed on it on itself like yeah. oh my gosh can you believe we all wanted this to happen it actually happened well let's say we'll have him do this and then that would actually happen it was a really cool interaction and the internet has kind of paid the way for this i mean it is I, it, it is really cool it's an, a very interesting way for art to interact with observers that is new like mm-hmm. previously in all realms of art you have an artist he creates something people like it they want that person to create more and so he gets hired or he gets funding or mm-hmm. he or she, I should say, he or she gets funding from whoever to create more stuff that may or may not live up to the expectations. Yeah. But now there, there's more direct control over the art itself. Yeah. And that's interesting. I, I think it has mixed results. And that's I, what I was just going to ask. I, yes. I, I certainly don't, I, I certainly wouldn't want to completely go with this model and issue the old one. Um, I think there needs to be both of some, but I also don't think it really does any harm. I don't think it, the worst you're going to have is that you're disappointed, I guess. And I don't think it's, well, that's not always the worst. And this brings me to something that I was going to bring up. And again, it's, it's kind of comic book related, but um, recently there was a huge outcry online because um, a Batgirl comic came out with a very, well, it was a proposed or it was a planned variant cover. Now, Variant covers are not the one that the main book, comic book is published with. It's a secondary thing. It usually is a throwback to something else regarding the character or that kind of thing. It usually doesn't have anything directly to do with the content of that comic issue. And it was a throwback to a time when Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, was um, assaulted basically by the Joker um, in a book called The Killing Joke, which is fairly old. It's uh, uh, quite a few years ago. And... The outcry on Twitter was such that, um, and I'm not going to give them to go into holes back and forth, but it ended up that the artist asked uh, DC not to publish that cover at all. So then you have the input where... You have the input. I feel like that's a little more akin to where a director realizes his movie is bad and asks to take his name off it. Mm -hmm. Like the... They... I feel like before we were talking more about, I want Deadpool to do this, and so the artist does that. And this time we're talking more about the artist makes a cover and then the internet reacts to it. And in both cases, I think it's it's good and bad. I, I can't really decide whether or not. Well, just from the perspective yeah. of an artist, like, do you think that art should be critiqued in this way? I don't, I don't know about the art, but as a fan, that does kind of bother me because that takes the fun out of reading that or watching that right. or putting my time into it. If I know what's going to happen or. If it's kind of living up to a social expectation that it's very clear on the internet and then yeah. I guess it's just the vocal Or even that would bother that get... me if there's a huge cliffhanger and then everybody on the internet is like, you know, I really want him to live, so he lives. I don't well, want yeah. I don't want yeah. that. That's yeah. not what the artist maybe intended. Yeah. Yeah. Or people who really need an answer to an ambiguous ending, like I think yeah. that happened with Inception. Everyone yeah. wanted to know. Well, that's not the point. The ending yes. is ambiguous. Because you get to decide or you or you don't know. Right. That's the whole point. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree with exactly what, you know, what Shana said that if you always know 100% of the time that the artist is going to bow to the wishes of the audience, 
then what are we all doing here? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and why why are we paying attention to what's going on? Because we are we, we may as well move move forward. Yeah. Also, it doesn't is it any is it any longer art? That is a fundamental question that I'm not qualified <laughs> to answer in any way. Yeah, but it's it's inter- like crowdsourced art art artistic license is that is that a thing should that be a thing would would certain iconic things like alien have been born if it was you know i feel like a few um sequels were born that way with alien (laughs) (laughs) oh the crowd wants this so let's make some terrible movies yeah all right that's fair she's got a baby that's fair yeah I mean, uh, I I did recently read, this is not necessarily geek stuff, but on the same vein, um, someone said that there could never be another musical revolution like the Beatles right now because they're, are, they're making music they already know is going to be popular. Yeah. And so it's just kind of, I think, along the same lines. Like, would these, would Star Wars have ever been a thing and revolutionize the movie industry the way that yeah. it did if we were crowdsourcing all art? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't but know. But then at the same time we suddenly have all these additional rev- uh, avenues for an artist who maybe wouldn't be as well funded as George Lucas was when he made Star Wars That's that are true. able to just publish it on YouTube and all of a sudden, like even Dr. Horrible Single Blong Blog, yes, Joss Whedon is a very famous director and, and writer, but at the same time, um, at the time it was the actor strike and he, he loves his fans and I think we've, we've covered that several times on the podcast. <laughs> I'm a big Whedon fan. Um, but he, he loves his fans a lot. And he was like, look, um, I'll just get some of my favorite actors together and, and we'll put this together in a ten or a three 10 minute segments online. And, and that'll give you something to watch while you have watch otherwise reruns on TV because the actors are in strike. And, and that was something he was able to kind of bypass a union strike to get to his fans. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's equal parts good and bad, I think, as long as there's not too much cent- censorship, I think that yeah, we're on a good I- path. You know, I, I think it's just a new model for how entertainment is interacting with the audience, and it's going to have some good results and some bad results. I, uh, as Tracy knows, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of when something ends and it was great of fighting and clamoring to bring it back. I yeah. think, you know, there's times when, for me, it's arrested development where you capture the magic and then you're never really going to get it again. And yeah. the same thing happened with Lord of the Rings. You know, the Hobbit trilogy was not, <laughs> you had a lot of the same people involved, but yes. sometimes it's just there. Everyone's on point and, and you mm-hmm. really make something amazing. And just because fans want to see more doesn't necessarily mean that that's best for the art, but that's just my yeah. very snotty opinion. Well, no, it's, that's not, that's also true because then at what point does it go from being an act of love to going to be a point where you're just throwing money at a project in order to make money. I mean, I can't disagree. I can't agree. I like. I enjoyed that dragon. Smog was yeah. wonderful to me, and I would have watched the whole movie. Like I would have sat through it for. I cried after the first one and refused to watch the other two. So. Smog was amazing. He was one of the best computer-generated feats I've ever seen. That's but that's, the, but that's the a worthwhile were. dragon. Like. You know, we just have the, could we take Smaug and been, drop him into Game of Thrones? Yeah, sure. Because there are not enough dragons. Yeah. Not, <laughs> last, yeah, last season, seriously. Where, Where are the dragons? The dragons? Where, Where are, are they? The oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad for Tracy. Like, I've, I must have said that to you like that's okay. 400 times. Everyone I know who likes Game of Thrones, that's all I hear. Where are the dragons? And Khaleesi. 
Where are my dresses? I don't. I, I could, <laughs> I'm not a big you know, fan of Daenerys, I could get, but, you know, care I could go less about Khaleesi. <laughs> Just give me the dragons. Like, feed them more. They're not it big enough. Like, would, please. Also, um, Drogon's head was oddly proportioned in that last scene. I'm, I know we're jumping onto the Game of Thrones really quick here, but it's appropriate because um, it's, the new seasons are about yeah, to be here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, the, the Carl, Drogon was just not. I don't, he was a letdown in that last in the last episode. Yes, big time. And I Definitely. was like, nice big body. I'll, I'll, in general, I have trouble. You're right. You are correct that Smaug is beautiful. By the way, I actually, my cousins had the had purchased it on digital download, and then they let me watch it. And I was like, I will only watch the section with Smaug because I want to see what he looks oh, like. Oh, he's, so he's I amazing. Did, I did watch it, and it was quite good. Don't get me wrong, but I. I backed it up a little too far and then I started seeing like Watertown and I was no, 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 I can't do. I mean, I'm sure I could, I could do a whole separate podcast on why I didn't. (laughs) The first Hobbit movie, I actually didn't mind. I thought it was okay. It did follow the book pretty closely. It was the second one. I have not seen the third one yet because I, I didn't like the second one at all. Mm -hmm. And I just never got my ass down to the theater to see the third one because I didn't care. Yeah. Um, The first one just felt like a video game to me. Ugh. Yeah, we could do a whole separate podcast. Unfortunately, just in the second one, you had to sit through the entire movie yeah. to see Smog. So. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, when the third one... Oh, I, well, I, I haven't think seen it, the third one. Did it come out? It did. Uh, oh, is it I'm on terrible. DVD, though? I oh, I, I don't think it's on DVD yet. So, no. I feel awful. It came, no, it came back out at Christmas time. Was, oh, okay. Yeah, we were busy. That's what people in school do. They get busy. Yep. Actually, I'm busy on breaks because I'm trying to do all of the stuff that I didn't get done during the semester. Yeah. So life. Yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to go see. Um, I've I have I missed Jupiter Sending. I missed Cinderella. So many movies that I've missed this year so far, and it, we're only a few months in. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so kind of something that we've talked about before individually. Um, the idea of geeking out and how it can be applied to more than just the traditional sci-fi, fantasy, comic book, video game kind of four-part dichotomy or whatever that dichotomy is too right yes quad quad economy is that a thing (laughs) i made it a thing economy tetra that's hmm this is complicated but we can make up a word (laughs) i'm sure anyways (laughs) um but geekiness is is more than just that because i mean i would say that i geek out as much about the stuff that i learn at school which is certainly not geeky at all unless you consider government geeky international security I do because I'm super passionate about resource shortage and migration and conflict and I'm writing my independent study on it this semester and I'm so excited. It's so cool. But I don't feel like I could go to a comic convention. I can't go to Tidewater Comic Con and stand there and say, everybody come to my table. I'm talking about (laughs) the fact that China's buying lakes in Canada. Like nobody cares. Nobody there cares. You could do that. I could do that. This is America. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) buy a table just for that federale would be like what is going on i'm like i need a panel but how would you dress up uh raindrop that's i want to see this now (laughs) (laughs) i'm graduating that weekend um yeah so geekiness isn't i mean at least and we've written on this on on the blog before as well but geekiness is not really restricted to that are there things that you geek out about that are not specifically Um, geek community oriented definitely my major like you like you put a lot of time into that and that's true you you just have to be passionate about it after a point like 
you want to see me geek out, let's go on a hike. And you'd be like, look, this one's pollinating that one. And let's see. <laughs> the, look at the difference in plants and grass and elevation. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And it, it's about wanting to know every tiny detail yes. about a specific thing. Oh, yeah. And like, for me, that's what that is. Or I'm having a hard time with things. Teresa, you can jump in anytime. Yeah, what do you have? Um, well, math. I'm a math major, so I get geeky about math. That's true. And no, seriously, I'm <laughs> I'm not joking. That's true. Like there was a moment when Teresa was on the floor one day, insisting. What was what was the argument about? He was a friend of mine was conflating stoichiometry and stochastic optimization and trying to say that they were the same thing or similar or related in any way, which they are not. And, and he, this was months ago, and he's still arguing his point, correct? He has more or less conceded my point, because once you pull out the dictionary definitions of these things, <laughs> there's not much else to go on. And I insisted that he just, you know, was totally maybe wrong. had a few too many beers, <laughs> and both of them started with STO, and he really just, that's what, all he was saying. And But yeah, he, I mean, it was part that I was geeking out about math, and part that I just knew I was right, so... <laughs> Your nerd rage. Yeah, <laughs> nerd rage. Exactly. <laughs> um, so there's math. And then I, I get, um, I like to, in my spare time, one of my hobbies is, you know, learning foreign languages. So mm. I'm not yeah. fluent in any, but it's just something I like to do. So I can get geeky about that. And I like to talk to other people who are into it. I'm a big word geek as well. So I yeah. like the etymology. Like if I, if I can read a word and then figure out where it came from, especially since English I mean, I speak Spanish as well, but English specifically steals from so many other languages. As I learn other languages, as I learn German, as I learn Spanish, I'm like, oh, that's very similar to the same word yeah. or this or a similar word in English. That's where that came from. It's very cool because Germ German is very much like Shakespearean English. So if you read a lot of uh, John Donne, Shakespeare, any of their contemporaries, you have a really good grasp of sentence structure in German. It's And Shana, you speak German as well, so I know you can speak to this. Oh, yeah, definitely. You hear all the time that English has so much romance language in it. And then you learn German and you're like, um... Actually, no. <laughs> actually, it's yeah. this other thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I get geeky about cooking. I get very mm, geeky uh, yep, about cooking. Yep. Also, I believe if you're going to do a thing, you should do it right. Yes, so definitely. inevitably, I end up kind of becoming kind of what you were saying, like a little bit of a snob about it. <laughs> like, oh, I make my own ketchup. And I do make my own ketchup, which is sad. I just don't look down on anybody else who doesn't make their own ketchup. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that's my the, own saving grace. Yeah, that's the, that's the drawing, uh, the line for me between geeking out about something and being passionate about it and th and then just being you know that the hipster douche the sensitive artist oh if yeah. anyone's a king missile fan they should definitely <laughs> listen to that song um yeah that's you know you, who are you to downplay someone else's interest yeah you know absolutely yeah. and that's a i think that's a big problem in a lot of communities where everyone describes themselves as passionate it almost always ends up if you're not careful bleeding over into how could people not be interested in this and it it pisses me off every time yeah. I see some because I'm like, they're just not like, you know, that's they're interested in something else and they can't believe you're not interested in it. Can mm -hmm. we all just be passionate and be enthusiastic and leave each other alone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that kind of comes down to just the term geek. I mean, um, it's very much a self-identifying moniker. It's yes. something that you choose to be or you choose not to be like, Shana, you're a geek about these specific things. 
And sometimes you feel like you want to have that geek identity and sometimes really not. I consider myself a geek dabbler. Like <laughs> I enjoy dabbling right. in all in all kinds. I'm not the really sexualized anime myself like because I just it's an awkward situation. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, like I like to dabble, but don't ask for a commitment like <laughs> not, not throwing money down <laughs> so yeah no I, but you're and you're allowed to choose the level to which you want yeah be. i mean i would have to say that although kind of being the editor-in-chief and writing regularly for and now being basically the head marketer for therefore a geek kind of puts me in a slightly different position going into this i was a book word nerd like, that's what I did. I was a huge fantasy fan. I watched a lot of cool movies, but I've learned so much about comic books in the last two years. It has been totally bonkers, but I would never have considered that. So to me, not only is my identity getting stronger or weaker, depending on where I am in my life, but it's also a constantly changing set of um, passions yeah, as absolutely. well. And now I'm like, oh, I know I have my favorite Avenger and I have my favorite X-Man and they're probably not yours. Like, you know, <laughs> I like Beast. How yeah. many people are like, I freaking love this giant blue hairy guy that <laughs> hardly ever. And yeah. and there's nothing wrong with just liking Storm because you identify with being Lightning Woman. Yeah. But, you know, and not really going further than that. There's nothing wrong. That's with absolutely just true. Wanting to taste something. Well, yeah. I have I have a good girlfriend that is not geeky at all, but she loves Wonder Woman. I mean, she wears Wonder Woman socks <laughs> with the capes on the back. Oh, yes, those and are awesome. I, I'm like, yeah, they are awesome. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't expect to see that outside of someone who loves the comic books, right. or or at least you know the old show or whatever that has or owns at least a figurine of Wonder Woman. But she just that's what she likes, and I'm like, okay. I'm totally okay with that. Please, the more the merrier. Please, please make geek mainstream because when you make geek mainstream, we get Avengers too, right? So, anyways, mm-hmm. well, usually about this time of the podcast, we end up talking about what we've been doing recently. So, um, whatever you're you've been reading, if you've been playing a video game, um, if you've been watching TV shows, Shane, I know you've been watching Farscape. What else have you been doing? Um, I I started rewatching Heroes. Mm, nice uh, the man just came home and i'm like i don't know where i got it in my head that i was gonna make him a heroes fan so i does he I, like hayden panettiere i'm sorry does he like hayden panettiere a little blonde isn't she in heroes he yes. keeps yes, oh he is. talks about her constantly she can't be old enough how old is that <laughs> and I, I was like Cause she's so short like if you notice in this show like she's got like six inch heels on the whole time like so she's like a little buffy. Yeah, and like on top tiny. of that, she's she looks crazy short when she's oh, walking wow. around. So you're just like, oh my God, she's just like a miniature person. Ah, oh, that's adorable. Uh, so is he now a Heroes fan? Yeah. Nice. So Awesome. Good job. Um, Zachary Quinto or Quinto? Siler? Yeah. Um, Slap came out and it has uh, him as the, the main villain kind of mm-hmm. uh, character. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's Siler. That's why he's in the Star Trek movie, Spock. <laughs> this guy is just great. That's awesome. So, yeah. And, you know, you guys should check out the Star Trek movie and enjoy some Spock. Then you uh-huh. know. No, I have. I, I definitely, the only thing I don't like about that one is the lens flares. So many. <laughs> don't play a drinking game with that because you will die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Not kidding. 
<laughs> I started one with my roommate last semester and we had to stop. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. What about you, Teresa? What have you been doing? Um, I've been reading a lot as much as my school schedule allows me to, but last summer, um, I read a whole bunch of book ones of a lot of fantasy series that have been popular lately. I read, I think, 10 book ones and just to decide which ones I wanted to continue with. And the ones that I liked the most were, um, the Shadow Rise series by Tad Williams, Tad Williams. Mm -hmm. And I'm finishing that one now. I'm on the last book now. I like that one a lot. And I read King Killer Chronicles, which I loved, absolutely loved yeah. King Killer Chronicles. Told Tracy to get back and, and finish them because despite the fact that there are some slow passages, um, it really does pick up. And yeah. especially that second book was really great. And right now I'm reading The Lies of Locke Lamora on Tracy's suggestion. And other than that, I don't have time to do much else. So <laughs> yeah, a lot no, of, that's a lot, a lot of reading, reading though. Yeah, yeah that's a, ton of a lot of reading. Yeah. I commend you. I could never do that much reading. <laughs> well, over the summer, I don't work or anything. So I had plenty of time in the summer nice. to just read all these books. And then, um, yeah, So, but those are my favorite. The Shadow the Shadow Rise. I think that's the name of the series, Shadow Rise. Or that's the name of the first one, maybe. I can't remember. Okay. Shadow March. I'm sorry. Shadow March is the name of the series. Okay. No, that sounds really familiar. Joe Abercrombie? No, no, Tad Williams. Tad I Williams. did. Okay, I read yeah. The Blade itself by Joe Abercrombie as well. I really liked it. I have not gotten around to reading the second one yet. Okay. Um, I liked that one a lot more than a couple of the other ones I read that were similar. There's a lot of. I noticed a big trend. I think in the past ten years, maybe of the the antihero. Yeah. The yeah. kind of I'm like Aragorn, but a little more sinister, and I'm not really a good guy. That seems to almost be a trope in and of itself yeah. now. Um, the the antihero hero, but I still, you know, if it's well written, I still enjoy it. So yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. So I have been watching a little bit of Farscape, and then got sidetracked by midterms, and then I've been really doing. I I have I had been reading a lot of like very short stuff, like short stories, um, short books. I read a Kurt Vonnegut book and loved it uh, a little while ago. Yes, and yeah, <laughs> um. And was super happy. I've got a whole blog post in my head that's going to get written out pretty soon about the difference between him and um, other American classic literature pieces. And um, But I also felt the need to start, kind of like you, reading at least the first books in um, series or the first books by a lot of fantasy authors because all of a sudden it feels like fantasy just maybe had a resurgence in the last maybe three years or so. And I feel like I suddenly am miserably behind like there's a bunch of stuff by robin hobb and joe Abercrombie, like so many and so i picked up i was walking through this was totally by accident i was walking through the library and they had kind of a list of new books that they had just gotten in and they had brent weeks uh the broken eye and brent weeks was on my list of of authors to check out i had no idea he had written such long books (laughs) did you see that book on my on my bookshelf it's I don't. You could I'm kill probably, a person. It, yeah, like that. I know, it's like fourteen hundred pages or something. So oh that's. My gosh. I feel like that's going to take a little while oh. to get through. That's even longer um, than the roots of fantasy. It? It's about the same length as Sanderson's second, um, the second book in oh his, my his most recent ones. So I just, I, I'm a little concerned. I had written a blog recently about why word limits are important. So I'm like, Brent Weeks, please don't fail me because I actually have talked to him personally online and never read his books um i've talked (laughs) to him on twitter and on reddit he's very very active on reddit and so i've done i've actually asked him questions on the ask me any things and that kind of thing just never read his books was not expecting this so please don't let me down brent weeks i read a brent weeks book and it wasn't terrible good and it wasn't it wasn't like long 
it wasn't like the Sanderson problem that you were describing. I haven't read them, but with the long, drawn-out, yeah. world-building sequences that don't advance the plot. There wasn't yeah. much of that. I just didn't personally enjoy it as much as Joe Abercrombie's The Blade itself. Yeah. So I don't yeah, think it's going to be a, a, a slog or anything. Okay. As long as I can care about any of the characters. <laughs> That's the one thing that I just... Sanderson doesn't give me anyone I like enough to care what happens to them. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool, I guess, that that happened to him, Uh, whatever. I find, I mean, I find Um, a lot for myself that what I care about more tends to be, I wouldn't say more, but I tend to get really into worlds and sometimes I don't even need good characters as long as the world is really good and I feel like a lot of people feel the opposite. They really don't, so. I prefer character driven, but then The Lies of La Calamora, you're enjoying as much as I did and I like it because it's character driven. It is character driven and the world is good. But the world building is also good. The world building is also good. He just did a great job and he's in the middle, I think he's written two more books in that series and I haven't picked up number two yet because I'm doing number ones for a while, but I will, I'll let you know if the rest are just as good as the first one. Anyways. Oh, there's a number two? There's three of them so far. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I'm actually pretty excited about them. And I got to meet him at Phoenix Comic Con, Scott Lynch. He's the nicest guy. Like, he looks like he's scared of everyone, though. That's the only thing. Like, he, just, <laughs> he looked like, okay, hi. And then he signed. But he's like a huge dude. I don't know. Anyway. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Um, all right. So if you like what we do, then check us out on thereforeigeek.com to find more podcasts and also read all of our blog posts for the last two years. You can uh, follow, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thereforeigeek. Follow us on Twitter at thereforeigeek. And I am at Mary Eyes if you'd like to talk to me directly. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher and you can subscribe and leave us a five-star review, please. And uh, most recently, we've uh, jumped onto Instagram also. So you can see pictures of us podcasting and doing other crazy things that we do on Instagram at Therefore I Geek. And once again, I'm Tracy. I'm Shayna. I'm Teresa. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. Attention comic book fans! May 16th and 17th, don't miss Tidewater Comic Con at the Virginia Beach Convention Center. Our first ever two-day spectacular and we have over 100,000 square feet of events, panels, contests, and dealers. Comic book creators Chad Harden, Ron Mars, Kevin McGuire, Greg Land, and more. Celebrity guests Sam Witwer, Kelly Hu, Sam Huntington, Megan Raff, Chloe Dykstra, and many more! Passes are on sale now, and the earlier you buy, the more you save. Visit www.tywatercomiccon.com for more information and get your passes to the incredible, uncanny, amazing Tywater Comic Con. Tywater Comic Con.